Welcome to the 80s Arcade Podcast. Here's your host, Bob Johnson. Hello and welcome to episode one of the 80s Arcade Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Johnson. A quick note, this interview is done using an earlier set of equipment from what I currently use, so the sound quality will be a little different. And with that, here's my interview with Marty Charlebois. With me today is Marty Charlebois, gamer, musician, and owner of the Game Over Scoreboard. Hello. Hey, uh, Marty, what was the first video game you remember playing, and where was it? The first video game, uh, arcade game I ever played um, was uh, at a drive-in movie, and uh, I think I was, it might have been Star Wars, but... Gosh, there's there's a few movies I went to see that at that time. Anyway, it, the first game was Boot Hill, and it was in the snack bar of this drive-in theater. And I don't know if you have played Boot Hill at all, but um, it's uh, it's just a black and white game, very straightforward, and uh, basically uh, shooting it out, little cowboy kind of dude. And I think that was in 77 or so. That was the first game I ever played. That was, was that, uh, was that like an electromagnetic game also, or was it literally just a, it was an actual video game? Oh, it was an actual video game. Okay. It was one step above Pong kind of thing where the graphics were very basic, but, um, but it was actual drawings, uh, an actual cowboy, and you could shoot. And, and you had a, a dial, I believe, and I think you plunged the dial down to shoot a bullet. So it was it was kind of, uh, you know, tricky to get around. But uh, as a first game, it was like it was like magic. I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah, especially with the, the different uh, interfaces, different controls. Uh, not the joysticks were even common yet at that point, but instead of the fact that you actually you had to do an action to, to fire and to you know make your guy do right. something. I and I think it had a joystick uh, for moving, and then the dial was for shooting, I believe. And uh, and I think uh, Nintendo's Bandito has almost the same controls, um, perhaps, uh, and. Um, and there's another, I forget the name, uh, Wild West or something like that. Anyway, uh, yeah, you didn't see it very often. But it kind of came back a little bit in Tron. Uh, it, as, as you know, Tron has the joystick to move around and then dial to actually aim your, your shooting arm or your tank turret or whatever, depending on the level. And so it, it kind of persisted in, in a few games, I think. Actually, yeah, I do. I, I remember uh, that was actually one uh, growing up. There was a restaurant near where I lived, and um, yeah, I would go at least once or twice a week down to that family restaurant just to play Tron and uh, Two Tigers. No doubt. Yeah, that's 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 how I remember it. There was always certain places where they had a machine or two, you know, a corner store or something. And you'd go there specifically to play that game. That's what you had to do is to, you know, in order to play these games, is go travel around town and, and find the spots. 
you know. Yeah. So that's really cool. That, that was Boot Hill. My first game was, uh, it, it was really basic, but it's still, the style still lived on through other games for sure. So uh, did you have like an arcade or, or as you mentioned, another place that you like, you went to on a regular basis, kind of your place? Yeah, I, I would say that um, I had a few regular places. And then, um, like I mentioned earlier, there, there's uh, small um, stores, corner store, or um, they're just in the weirdest places. A laundromat, uh, you know, they'd have a coin-operated video game. And I'd go there just to play that game. Uh, there was one... Uh, laundromat with a make tracks uh, I, I'd go there for that there was a corner store with a pengo uh, you know various corner stores at various games for sure but I grew up at, uh, at that time you know back in the 80s I was in Ottawa Canada and um, I've recently moved back and there was three major arcades that I go to all the time um, one was called The Wizard, but the other two, I just couldn't tell you what they were called. And uh, so, you, you'd, you know, you'd skip school and you'd go play at these arcades all day long, basically. And don't tell my mom I said that. Um, but uh, that's, that was my favorite thing to do. There was, a, there was actually an arcade that was at a bus stop. Uh, it was a really strange bus station kind of bus stop where a lot of buses went to and it was a giant parking lot but for some reason there's a an arcade in the middle of it and uh, I, I used to get almost all the way to school and then just not not leave that arcade and never get to school and I'd stay in that arcade all day long and uh, play Wizard of War mostly <laughs> I, I, I definitely remember Wizard of War um, that was uh, actually a bowling alley where I also played Space Apps. Um, that was one of the other games there. Um, oh, yeah. Bowling alleys. That's a great one, too. Yeah. yeah. I always have good games at the bowling alleys. <laughs> yeah. You go there, you never go bowling, but you go up play video games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with the renewed you know, popularity of the, the, the barcades, uh, are there any you've been to that you feel captures, like, you know, the, the feel of an actual 80s arcade? Well, you know, it, I've come close. I've been to a couple places that are, uh, you know, really kind of run down with lots of machines, kind of how I remember the 80s. And uh, it's just not the same feel uh, to answer your question because I'm so much older now. It doesn't, uh, the, the technology is older too. So it, back then it was the hot new cool thing uh what kind of new graphics had they come up with and for a quarter you get to try out uh, you know watch the animations and and see how far technology had gotten but uh, nowadays it's just a different feel i'm not a kid it's not uh, you know the the unseen technology magic that I, that you'd feel as a kid it is now it's more of a nostalgia so it's a different different feel I don't get the the feeling I used to have. No. I, I I think that may be true of most people, you know, of our time. 
because same thing, I'll be like, there's a park can, I'm like, well, but I can go home and play this on MAME, or if I happen to have the machine, I can go home and just play it. Uh, whereas, like you said, when we were young teenagers, it was always that what's new, what's new. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you'd put 50 cents in a new machine just to experience it and see, oh, what's the big deal? What's what's the new hot thing? Because graphics were getting better and better. And, you know, they came out with those laser disc games. And, you know, it was cool. It was really cool. So I understand this uh, episode's game, Burger Time, is, is a favorite of yours. So what is it that draws you in with that game? Uh, Burger Time is one of my faves um, because I, I like Burger Time because it is a punisher, uh, because it's so hard to get good at. Um, and that's kind of my thing with what games I like. I like games that... I can spend a you know a lifetime on and not get tired of it or not you know where it won't become a, just a chore of going through the motions for hours. Uh, I want to try and figure it out and get better and better at the game without the game taking too long, for example. Uh, and uh, not that I'm that good on many games, but I like the playability factor. So. Burger time will take me the rest of my life to figure out. So I really like that challenge of, you know, nice, tight, simple game that I have yet to master. And and it's pretty goofy. I, I like, you know, as a kid, I really liked seeing the, the pickles and, the, you know, all those toppings walking around and the music and... It's just, I have a lot of nostalgia tied to Burger Time, so I really like that game for those reasons. So now, um, a lot of people seem to like games that are patternable, and, and there are certain games that are patternable once you get far enough, but would you prefer games that are more random, or something like, say, Pac-Man that's actually patternable? I, I prefer random I, I like I like dealing with the randomness a lot better than dealing with the, like a heavy workload of uh, having to remember things. You do get a satisfaction, you know, out of figuring out Pac-Man patterns uh, and executing them. It's it's not easy to execute them over a long period of time. But when I start tackling Pac-Man, I feel like I have a lot of work to do as far as memorizing goes. And that's, I, I, I don't like memorizing so much as just the uh, the reaction time factor or knee-jerk reactions, uh, you know, the real arcade shoot 'em up kind of feel instead of patternable, like like homework-style games. <laughs> yeah, I, I... It's I, not homework. You yeah. know, don't get me wrong. I, I like Pac-Man and... And I've put uh, many hours into Super, uh, sorry, Pac-Man Plus as well. Uh, you know, discovering patterns and all that. But it's just a bit daunting how much time you have to invest in it. You know, to get through to a certain level, and it's like, well, I, I know I can remember it, memorize it, 
but yeah, I think I'll have more fun playing uh, Defender because it, you know, it's more about just shooting aliens as fast as possible instead of you know executing a pattern. Yeah, I I agree. I, I when I want to play a game, I want to play a game, not just follow a set pattern of left, right, up, down, up, down. Where if I'm playing a game, it's actually playing it. If I'm just doing a pattern, I feel like just I'm just doing homework. It's just a pattern. Yeah, and you know sometimes I feel like playing a game, and I won't want to, and I just want to play for a short time, and I I don't know how. Um, those really good players that can play for four hours plus, uh, I don't know how they can sit down and relax and play a game knowing that the game will last for four hours. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't imagine being in their shoes. So I, I agree, actually. If I'm playing more than a 20-minute game, I guess I'm like, eh, it's time to move on to a different game. Right, it becomes about endurance, and it's just a, it's a different ball game, and, and it's good for competition. You know, uh, who can play the longest, or who can, you know, marathon a game, basically. But now I like the the short five minute games, and uh, and uh, burger time for me only lasts a short time right now. Someday I'll be able to make it last longer. <laughs> So, what is your favorite arcade game? Uh, I would say uh, Star Trek is my favorite. I just have so many fond memories of it. I love Star Trek. Uh, I I love the game back when it came out, and uh, it's funny after all these years. Um, <clears throat> it, it's funny to see other people's reaction to it. A lot of people don't like that game, like. Because it's I don't know for whatever reason, and um, I I just I'm hooked on it, so I love it. Uh, seeing that the uh, you know the captain's chair, the sit down is so rare. Have you had an uh, opportunity to play it? Yeah, I wish I had one. I wish. Um, honestly, I've never played an upright Star Trek machine. It was always the cockpit. When uh, when I was at the arcade <clears throat> back in the day, I never saw the the conversion upright. Um, so and and the funny thing is too with another one of my favorites, uh, Red Baron. Um, I've never played an upright Red Baron either. It was always the cockpit. For some reason, my arcades had access to <laughs> really cool games that are considered rare for some reason. That's uh, that's actually really nice. You, you know how lucky you were at the time. No, I didn't. I really didn't. In that cockpit uh, version of Star Trek, um, you have four buttons on one side and the dial on the other. <clears throat> and so I got to remember uh, all my reflexes were for four buttons in the shape of a square, like it is on the cockpit. Then you get to the upright cabinet, and they're all spread apart, completely different. You have to start over the whole learning process. Um, you know, to to get any good scores <laughs> once you switch from one to the other. It's amazing. And it really does make a difference um, just in play uh, when you're using more than, say, one button. Uh, 
Because, yeah, it's just you're, you're used to your fingers become used to a certain spot. Um, oh, yeah. And especially this game where it, the game is over so quickly once you lose control of the situation. Uh, you know, uh, as you probably know from playing it, um, get surrounded by Klingons. And then if they all fire at once, that's going to take you out. And so you have less than a second to figure out your strategy execute it by warping using the warp button you know uh and launching your photon and you know it's there's a lot to that game and uh i just i just love it so, and it has the uh, the real voices of the uh, characters from the show some of them which at the time was definitely something uh Oh, mind-blowing. Yeah, it wasn't maybe brand new, but it certainly was cutting edge at the time. Yeah, like Zector, Zector and, and Star Trek. I love both of those. So what would you say is the most difficult arcade game you've played? I'd have to say um, Enigma 2. If you have a chance to ever try that cabinet, uh, it's super rare. There's only a couple. But uh, try it in MAME, obviously, and uh, you'll see. It's just insane. It's insanely difficult. Um, and uh, Defender, I'd say, is another quarter stealer uh, that I used to hate. It's my favorite game now, but or one of my favorite games. But back in the day in the arcade, oh, my God, I would not waste a quarter on that game because it was so hard. You would play for less than 30 seconds, and you were done, you know. So that's the hardest game, I think, by far. I, I would say uh, I probably spent less than 50 cents on Defender back in the day. And yeah. <laughs> People used to kick that machine. I mean, I remember seeing a couple players that were really good at it, but everyone else just abused the heck out of those machines. So uh, what arcade cameras do you personally own right now? Um, I have uh, six total machines now, um, currently. I brought them all uh, with me when I moved back to Ottawa here uh, from Seattle. And, um, I mean, there's machines here, but I, it's not quite the same as the machine availability in, in the States. But anyway, um, right now I have a, a Zybots Space Invaders, um, a Tutankhamun, a uh, Missile Command, and a Defender, of course, and a Sinistar. I think that's six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's six. Um, so, say out of those six, I kind of have an idea. What is your favorite? Uh, I have to say the one I play every day is Defender. It's just the uh, perfect game, I guess. So if money were no object, what game would you own and, and why? If money were no object, um, I would own all the laser games, um, like Dragon's Lair, Space Ace. Um, there's, there's a lot of them, actually. And... Uh, Gosh, uh, sorry. Uh, what else would I buy if I had a million dollars? 
Well, I'd have to get the Star Trek cockpit, of course. And I have to get a Tron, even though they're not too bad. Um, and all the Atari system ones. Um, I really like P- Peter Packrat. That's a fun one. Oh, gosh, it goes on and on. Uh, if I had a million dollars, I'd have a million dollars worth of machines uh, in a warehouse somewhere. And if I had two million, I'd probably have two million dollars worth of machines in the warehouse somewhere. So uh, going back to the laser disc games, uh, you know those are kind of uh, very polarizing games. You either I love them or you or you just really don't get them. What is it that you enjoy about that? Uh, the n- nostalgia factor is huge, of course. Um, it it takes me back. But uh, I just I just love the mechanic of uh, combining video with uh, a computer game, and so I I really really like uh, playing those games, even though they're pretty archaic as far as uh, gameplay action goes. Uh, maybe not archaic. That's probably the wrong word. How about um, uh, a little basic? A little low res sometimes, but I really enjoy it. I really like the the magic that it creates. Seeing the live footage with uh, with software running over top of it, it's cool. Um, so, what gamer has had the most influence on you, and, and why? Well, um, the most influence on me would have to be my favorite gamer. Bob Johnson. <laughs> you maybe have heard of him. Yes, I have. Uh, I uh, and the reason is he's a really cool guy. I I don't know if you talk to him much. Probably don't talk to yourself much, but you're a really cool guy. Um, I can really connect. I, I have a lot of um, similar uh, interests in um, you know music just from following you on Facebook. I feel like I know you, but anyway. Um, I still remember when you uh, when you broke the world record for uh, Space Sap. I think I was watching a uh, live stream, and there's I think two other guys with you. Um, yeah, my did nephews. You have, yes, both my two uh, nephews. Yeah, did did you have the machine in like a kitchen area, or was it was it an office kind it, of thing? It actually was in my basement. It was the basement. Okay. Yeah, it was it was pretty uh, bright. And, and white daytime, so I, I couldn't really tell where you were at um, as far as that goes. But I remember watching that, and I I was really inspired. I I, I thought, wow, he just he just conquered a game from 1980. Isn't it from it is. 19? It is. Yeah, and and all these years, and someone actually crushed that game after all of these years. I was so impressed with that, and and I felt so down to earth, you know, grassroots. <laughs> I was watching it uh, as it was happening. I thought it was really cool. And so I was really happy to, to get to know you later on in, in the group on Facebook and stuff. So, so yeah, thanks a lot for your inspiration. Uh, I will say I'm very humbled, and uh, this was not predetermined. I did not know you were going to say this. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on this spot there. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It, it, it is. It is nice to hear that people 
you appreciate what you do, whether it's something like gaming or something bigger. It, it, it is nice to hear that. Um, so, what are your thoughts on like MAME and emulation in general? Um, I'm, you know, of course, I'm uh, very, very much uh, into it. I'm, I'm addicted to uh, playing games on MAME. Uh, I think it's great, and the, I think the reason that it, it's so cool is that um, people can finally uh, compete in vast numbers and, and participate in competition on the same playing field as everyone else kind of thing. So, I mean, granted, you know, ideally you'd get people to come to a tournament and all play on the same machine, but how realistic is that these days, you know? Um, so... Uh, it's just great to be able to put, a, a, you know, a vintage arcade game in every household and have everyone be able to tackle it, give it a shot with the same sort of, um, I don't know, the same difficulty level, same performance, same playing field as everyone else. That's so convenient. We wouldn't even be able to think about the tournaments and and events that we have now uh, uh, before, back before MAME, because, uh, you know, everyone would have different versions of games, you know. So, so for once, everyone's playing the same exact game, and they can compete with each other um, on level playing field. So that's, that's why I love MAME. I, I agree, and I will say one thing that I also, myself, really like is it, it allows me to play games that I had never even heard of before. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, me too. I, a lot of games. I was so surprised how many games I missed out on in the 80s. Yeah, there were a lot of like that either they, because they were very small releases or they just didn't come to your town. If you lived in a smaller town, I lived in a town of about probably at that time 60,000 people. So, Big but not large. Exactly, and and it was such a big investment for operators back then that um, you know you weren't going to take a chance on you weren't going to go for variety. You wanted the money maker. So if you know if a certain game's popular, that's the one they'll get. So it was really hard to explore all the different games back in the day. And that brings up another question you mentioned about, you know, the money makers. Now, with mail, of course, we have virtual quarters. Uh, do you feel that that changes the feel of certain games that maybe are designed to be quarter eaters, but now with MAME, there is no reason to not just put another quarter in it. It really costs you nothing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, because of that virtual quarter factor, uh, there's certain games I don't, I don't play at all anymore um, that I used to love in the arcade. For example, um, Gauntlet is a game that I just won't play because there's no point. You can just keep going and going and going. Uh, back in the arcade, it was pretty much understood that you know you're going to spend a couple of bucks maybe, and and it was going to be a fun time, and it was all. You know, lots of voices and Dungeons and Dragons kind of vibe to it. You, you'd, you'd enjoy spending the, the two bucks. 
but now it's like that novelty's worn off. So you can't really do much else except just continue, continue, continue into a never-ending cycle kind of thing. So I don't, for that reason, I don't, I don't want to start a game. You know what I mean? I do. I will say one way where I feel that it has an advantage is um, games, mostly sport games like Pigskin or Arch Rivals, where I can now play a full game. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And not have to worry about spending the money. Right. Yeah, that is pretty much just those sports games where. Well, I guess you could um, see it that way too. Uh, if you think about maybe exploring an entire map on a different game, or or getting to a certain level to see what the big boss is like, you can you can now do that easily without spending quarters. But yeah, I don't know. I, it definitely ruins some games for me. I completely agree. I, I also, there are certain games I just don't play or I very seldom go back to, including Gauntlet, for that very reason. I used to play Gauntlet in college quite a bit. Uh, there was one in our um, Commons lunch area, and I, like you said, it's been 2 $3 at least a week, maybe more. And now I, I can't remember the last time I turned on Gauntlet or Gauntlet 2. Right, exactly. So how do you feel about not using the original controllers in emulation. Like, for example, you can now, of course, use a joystick to control the ship in asteroids or use a gamepad even. Uh, do you feel like the better, worse? Well, I think that the, um, you know, the controls uh, on the fact that you can put whatever controls you want on MAME, as long as it plugs in USB, I think that's really cool as far as you know, helping uh, people just be able to play these games uh, without investing in a whole bunch of extra hardware. But um, I actually prefer to try and emulate the hardware that it's supposed to be. So, for example, um, Star Trek, because I really love Star Trek and I don't own a machine, um, I play it on MAME. And so I built a controller that is a, a replica of the uh, control panel from the arcade game and I even uh, put the uh, the overlay on the controller uh, I ordered an overlay for a real machine and then put it on my controller to make it look exactly the exactly right and to put the buttons exactly where they're supposed to be uh, and it was you know quite an investment of time and, and effort and money and um, and so that's how I approach it. Uh, I made one for Star Trek. I made one for um, uh, Alpine Ski, and uh, also have a couple of X Arcade, uh, you know, tank sticks that are customized for various purposes. Um, <clears throat> I was able to get the world record uh, on my Star Trek controller. Uh, for the MAME record on uh, Twin Galaxies, which is really cool. That sounds very cool. Yeah, so, uh, and, and I plan on playing some more of it. That's how much I love the game. I'm going to try and beat my own score. <laughs> that Building that control panel, that, I mean, that is dedication. Um, it's one thing to build, you know, a two-joystick, six-button control panel, but 
to actually build it and get the control panel layover to make it absolutely correct. Yeah, and uh, and I, I put wood veneer sides on it too. <laughs> Just a decal, but still, it looks it looks pretty cool. That's authentic. That's, that's really great. Um, so, what inspired you to start the game over scoreboard? Uh, well, the scoreboard at its very beginnings, uh, it was actually not a MAME scoreboard originally. Um, basically, just wanted a, a place to uh, host a score. I, I was playing on an Apple II computer from back in the day. I was playing uh, Robotron, and um, I really didn't know where to put it online. I, I really wanted to post it on Facebook, but my friends wouldn't understand. Um, my uh, you know, arcade friends uh, wouldn't understand because it's, you know, a high score on an Apple II game. Apple II group wouldn't understand. It was just wasn't fitting anywhere. So I created a group just so that I could dump the score somewhere, and it became a dumping ground for main scores eventually. Um, but uh, that, you know, that was the start of Game Over. But it, the true inspiration was um, a fellow gamer named Steve Olsen back in Seattle. He um, he inspired the original scoreboard uh, idea in me, and uh, we used to play Vectrex games uh, a lot. We used to compete back and forth, and he and he said one day, "Well, I'm going to make a scoreboard on Facebook." And I said, "You can do that." He said, "Yeah, I'm going to create a group, and I'm going to use the files, and I'm going to make a scoreboard." And he did it, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. We could keep track of who's you know king of this game or the best at that game and just real time just post scores on facebook makes it easy you know facebook will let you know when there's a new score posted and you can search the group for a particular score if you want it's just a great place to do scorekeeping and um and so he inspired the original idea and created vectrex venerators group but then Game Over was really uh, started just to put an Apple II score somewhere, and it became a, a big uh, MAME scoring group. Well, big, relatively speaking, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is actually still pretty big, I would say. Um, so most of our listeners don't know that you and I have a little history uh, being opposing captains in the Game Over Bolarama uh, tournament back in 2016. <laughs> And uh, Walter Day immortalized that tournament with a trading card. So can you describe what was it like having one of your tournaments on a Walter Day trading card? Oh, man. It was, we had the time of our lives, didn't we? Oh, we did. I, it, I it would was, say it was, for me alone, it was just amazing getting that trading card. Yeah, and, and you know, the highlight for me was... Uh, when uh, Walter Day posted that uh, video of himself uh, wishing us luck uh, in the tournament, uh, in the Bolarama tournament, and it's just such a crazy idea for a tournament to have him as the the lead uh, host in that kind of environment was really uh, it was kind of magical. It was really cool. It, it, you know, I forgot about this video. You're right. That actually was that was. I should repost it. Um, he uh, he came on the screen and and uh, introduced himself and you know wished us all luck with the uh, tournament and uh, yeah that was that was basically it you know he's 
in his diplomatic way. And then he provided all the awards for the tournament as well. Yeah, that that was actually that was that was very a uh, very good tournament. Uh, it was very nice of Walter to do that, and uh, I agree. You should please post that on there. Yeah, it's so fun to watch. Yeah, um, so we there have been several tournaments, of course, run through the game over scoreboard, like we mentioned. Um, so, are there any plans for any future uh, tournaments? I'm trying to scheme something up for next spring, uh, like a spring fever kind of tournament. But um, tell you the truth, right now is, uh, is life is just catching up with me. I'm just busy every day, starting a new job, et cetera, et cetera. I won't bore you to tears, but uh, I'm scheming something up for uh, spring of 2019, and it should be fun. Can you give us any hints, or is it still pretty early in the planning stages? Oh, there's uh, there's going to be, um, I think, um, a theme of some kind, kind of like the golf tournament or the bowling tournament. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Dodgeball has been uh, put on the table along with other ideas, um, but uh, nothing solid yet, so I can't really say for sure. Okay, okay. Dodgeball would be an interesting one. Um, so on the, the overall game over scoreboard, you are listed as OVL. So what is the story behind those initials? Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't, you know, when I picked those initials, I never realized how often I would be asked what it stands for. Um, it's uh, It stands for Overlord, which... Uh, was my uh, Dungeons and Dragons character name for a few years back in high school. So when I would go to the arcade after playing some Dungeons and Dragons, I would put in OVL because that was me, you know. So um, that's where that comes from. Okay. Um, so can you tell our listeners where they can find the game over scoreboard? Uh, ideally, you would uh, only go to the scoreboard if you're part of the group. So joining the Game Over group is is the best way to participate in the in the scoreboard. Uh, but you can go to speechmachineband.com forward slash scoreboard if you want to just check it out. Uh, it's just a, a straight up uh, page of scores. So, but it's cool. And I would. I would recommend to our listeners to go ahead and join the Game Over uh, face group um, just because there is the competition in there and it is a community and it really kind of, I feel, makes it more than just a scoreboard. It's more of a community in that case. Uh, yeah, now that's the best part is uh, the friends that I've made in that group. Uh, from all over the world. It's really amazing. So I understand you're in a band called Speech Machine, as you just mentioned, though. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, Speech Machine is my band. Um, I play guitar and I sing, and uh, I tend to hire musicians uh, when I record you know, songs. And yeah, that's... Uh, that was uh, my reason for being in Seattle for so long. Uh, I was trying to make it in music, and um, I've just been doing it for a long time now. And uh, 
I have five albums released, and most of them can be listened to at the speechmachineband.com website. Okay. Uh, so have video games influenced your musical style? Uh, definitely when it comes to the uh, album covers, uh, the album art, that kind of stuff, um, I definitely got influenced uh, by video games. Uh, the second album is... Uh, an Apple II uh, graphics programming uh, book cover with a, a girl playing arcade machine. You know, it, it's very arcadey. Um, <clears throat> and the fourth album is uh, kind of the same uh, Apple II theme, but this time it's a close-up on the monitor, old-style CRT monitor. Uh, anyway, so the artwork for sure, but I wouldn't say the music because the music's not electronic. It's mostly acoustic, so... Uh, I would say just with the art, artwork on the album cover, it, it did influence me a little. Okay. Uh, well, I'd like to thank you for being on the show today. Um, Having me, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Would you uh, mind playing a Zell here? Oh, sure. Yeah, I can play something. Uh, let me get my uh, guitar. Be right back. All right. All right, I'm back. All right. So I'll play a little something uh, that I call Song 5. listening to the 80s arcade podcast we want to hear from you you can reach us on twitter at 80s arcade pod on facebook at 80s arcade podcast and on the web at 80s arcade podcast.com <laughs>